It's the end of a lovely day. It I is. Have, I have to connect 19. I'm here with Chris May, founder of Maiden. Um, and you gave a talk today, Chris. Well, first of all, before we talk about your talk, how was it today for you? Uh, it's brilliant. Um, I'm in the really uh, great position of not having to be involved at all in the organisation of these events because the team just do it all themselves. And, um, and actually, as you heard in my talk, I've actually been away for about eight weeks and I've come back just to find the whole thing organised. It's gone really smoothly and uh, the team have been absolutely fantastic and it's gone really well. Most importantly, because um, it's actually not my opinion that counts, it's the delegates. Um, and so far, I've heard nothing but positive feedback from the day. So um, I'm looking forward to looking at all the feedback forms when we get them and um, hoping that that will just confirm the initial impressions I've got. But yeah, um, I think everyone's had a great day and uh, yeah, it's, it's we've been preparing for this for six months. I don't think people can quite believe it's over. <laughs> Certainly, I, that was my impression. It's There's been a really nice atmosphere in the room and the conversation online has been really interesting as well. You had a great mix of speakers. Now, your talk was kind of part focusing on digital apps as a broad thing and the development of it part focusing on products that you're developing the bit that really interested me was around the digital triage stuff that you're working on and this is something that David Clark mentioned as well in his talk so give us a bit of a picture of the kind of potential that you see for using digital technology to triage people into talking treatments oh, sure I mean I only really got to gloss over it in my talk um, and it's a much bigger subject um, there's a lot of work come out of London recently that shows um, between 10 and 20% of a therapist's time is actually spent screening out patients that are not suitable for the service. And, um, and actually, the, the way that they screen them out is using algorithms. You know, they just set rules and do the patients fit the rules. And if they don't, then, you know, signpost them elsewhere or tell them they can't access the service or it's not appropriate or whatever. Um, a lot of this stuff can be done automatically. So what we're trying to do is build into our referral to treatment pathway some digital tools that actually will help screen the patient with, almost without the therapist having to get involved and basically come up with, uh, I guess, a recommendation to the therapist that this patient does not meet the criteria or doesn't meet the criteria and, and effectively list the reasons, so all the boxes they don't tick or the boxes they do tick. Um, but not to make the decision. We still want it to be a clinical decision what happens to that patient. Um, Moving forward, though, there's been also been a lot of talk today about online therapies and greater use of them. Um, it's absolutely possible for us to screen patients directly into digital. So they come in, they have an assessment, um, and we find that they meet the threshold for digital therapy and automatically put them into um, digital therapy without a therapist having to be involved in that because... Um, they can do the digital therapy. If they don't get on with it, they can still come back into the IAP service and have face-to-face -face therapy. But a lot of patients will just go, ultimately, directly into digital, and, um, and hopefully they'll do well in that. I have personal experience of using an IAP service yeah. five years ago for okay. depression and anxiety. And the way it worked for me was that I had an online referral, went to speak to a therapist... And I'm an unusual patient because I know the evidence really well. Right. And I went in knowing what I wanted, yeah. even though it wasn't the most effective intervention. Yeah. Um, it wasn't CBT. It was something quite unusual. But I kind of fought my corner yeah. and had it ended up with a 12-week course of what I wanted. Now, that's unusual. Yeah. Somebody who has, who's armed with that information. Yeah. Um, I guess my concern with digital triage is that you're kind of automating a process which is quite complex in the real world because mm -hmm. it involves the clinician's experience 
it involves the values and preferences of the patients which are kind of which come out during the consultation and it involves the evidence when it needs to be referred to um, so how can we make that all those complex things happen in an automated way? So, okay, um, first of all, um, when you say you are going to do this, um, we, Maiden, are not going to do this. Um, and I hope one of the messages he got throughout the conference was that the collaboration is absolutely key. That collaboration needs to be with the clinicians and the managers in the services, but actually the patients also need to be involved, you know, the, the end users. We all need to move forward together with this agenda and kind of take it step by step. Um, secondly, I think patient choice is going to be really important. So we are not going to be um, in a position where we say, with this patient, there is this one thing to do. Um, uh, and so I may have misled you on my previous answer. I think the patients will be left with a choice. Um, and it might be the thing they thought they were coming for, but then they may be offered these online options that they, they didn't even know about before they kind of access the service. Um, and... You know, and the patient needs to be educated and informed enough to be able to make the best choice for them. And so it's going to be a combination of all of those things um, and, you know, not one or the other. All we want to do is, is get digital to make it as easy as, as possible to, for all these things to happen. How, how do you kind of see this working in terms of choosing and moving forwards and backwards through the system? Um, I think that um, if you were to look at all the care pathways in IAPTUS, those feedback loops are actually already built in. Um, so it's a step care process and the idea is that you start on low interventions and if they don't work for you then you step up to higher interventions. And, um, but actually you can start on a low intervention and discover it's not right for you and then go and try a, sep a separate low, in low intervention. Um, one of the things that um, will be quite key in all of this is what are the thresholds for what choices get offered to patients. So somebody coming in with low depression and anxiety scores may be offered quite you know, low step two in interventions initially um, because their scores indicate that actually they could do well and they could get to recovery on those alone. Um, but actually, if you come in with quite high scores, you may actually automatically rule out a lot of digital therapies as just not going to be able to cope with this patient, and they will kind of go into some of the more of the higher intensity things. You're right, it's complex. There are lots of variables to juggle. Um, but actually, that is a strength of AI and machine learning because actually the, the algorithms that are in the black box uh, are actually there to deal with extremely complex, um, you know, multivariate situations just like this um, it's going to take time to get them to work for us but actually as tools we probably haven't got anything better and you shared some really nice mock-ups of um, kind of patient dashboards in your mm -hmm. talk where you were talking about a specific patient and different kinds of interventions with different percentage scores yeah. tell us a bit about that so the idea is um, let, let me give you a simple example when you go on to um, Amazon um, you are likely to be recommended a load of books and the way that it's recommended those books is looked at your reading history and the books that you bought off Amazon, looked at all of the other people on Amazon who have bought the same books as you, looked at what books they've been reading and then comes back with a recommended reading list for you and actually um, it's very likely that Amazon will recommend better books for you than your best friend who knows you really well. So um, we're using the power of the data in, in psychological therapies in a very similar way. So the idea is that a patient would come in and they would have an assessment um, that would effectively create a, create a phenotype for that patient or a, a profile. Um, we would then find all the other patients in the database have a very similar profile to, to me, the, the new patient. 
and um, we look at all the interventions they've had and the outcomes they got with those interventions and that's how we draw up our list of recommendations. We don't call them recommendations, they're probabilities. Um, We are not at the stage yet where we are going to be recommending things but what we are going to do is based on the analysis give clinicians probabilities as just an extra arrow in their quiver when they're making clinical decisions basically. This is what the historical data has said is likely to happen with this patient if you put them into various forms of of therapy. So that's kind of how it's going to work. And over time, as the machine learns, it should get better and better, effectively agreeing with the therapist. Um, But what we want right now is the therapist still to make the clinical decision and to teach the machine, you know, to to make better decisions going forward. And is the long-term vision for that to have... I'm involved in the GLAD study at King's, the genetic links with anxiety and depression yep. study that's yep. recruiting like 40,000 people and doing all sorts of genetic tests. Okay. They're going to come up with the, you know, the genetic phenotyping. Is there a way that we could bring these together? <laughs> so um, uh, in time, yes. Um, this is not going to happen overnight. Um, uh, if the stat we heard earlier about research like that taking 20 years to actually hit the service is true and we can't do it any quicker, then that, we're talking two decades before we're going to see the results from that. I'd like to think it would be done quicker. The technology is moving too fast. Um, I didn't mention a project earlier called Eurostars um, uh, that we're working on um, with a company called Sense Health in Holland who are actually here today. Um, and there we're taking a lot more variables uh, into the patient record in order to do this phenotyping. So um, we're taking things like heartbeat monitoring and facial expressions, you know, to, um, to monitor their emotions um, and, you know, l- lots of kind of physical, uh, physiological measurements to supplement the psychological measurements. And again, to see whether that actually is going to have an impact on being able to recommend a treatment as well. That is actually a separate project that's going on. Um, it's not SAPIO, the main project, but, um, and that's actually a three-year piece of work. So we won't have the results from that for, t- for three years. Um, but this is starting to happen. That does not include genetic information at this point. Um, but by the time we get to the end of this story, we will actually potentially have so much information about a patient um, in order to start making better and better decisions about how to manage their care going forward. And I think you called it a thought report that's been published. Do you want yeah. to tell people about that just in case they want to have a look at that and download it? Yeah, um, uh, I think that um, if anybody wants to see a copy of the report, um, it's for open access and they need to email projects at maiden.co.uk. Um, the thought paper, though, is essentially um, a beefier version of my presentation. It's setting out this entire digital agenda, um, what the SAPO project is and what we're actually intending to do with it. And a lot more detail in there. Um, and uh, we're hoping that um, you know, people have taken away the copies today that have been available, that they'll read through it. Um, and I'd, right now, that report is designed to get more people interested in the project and want to collaborate with us. And at the end of the report, it basically lists all of the different ways they can collaborate. And we're hoping that lots of people will email that address, projects at maiden.co.uk, um, in order to um, start a collaboration. Brilliant. Really exciting work. Thanks a lot for sharing it with us. Thanks, Andre. Thank mm-hmm. you.